This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to The Weekly. Welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly by Retail Insider. I'm Lee Rippett, and I'm joined with the Editor-in-Chief of Retail Insider, Craig Patterson, to discuss this week's most read articles on retail-insider.com. So thanks for joining me, Craig. Hello, everyone. Now, we're currently recording on July the 14th, 2020. And the most popular article over the last week was called Wave of Store Closures to Hit Canada in the Summer of 2020. Now, of course, with a title like that, and as well as the concern around COVID-19's impact on the Canadian retail environment by most of our readers, all of our other articles couldn't hold a candle to this one's popularity. And rightly so. But to give a little bit of like context before we jump into the retailers, we should give a little bit of context to say that there's a various level of bad news or a spectrum that all these people are on as they kind of are trying to navigate these waters. For example, some are just filing for bankruptcy protection against creditors so they can try to right the ship. And there's some that are actually closing all their stores and pulling out. So with that spectrum, you know, Craig, let's just jump into some of these retailers. But but before we get there, why did you write this article to begin with? Yeah, I mean, over a few weeks, I was collecting information on retailers uh, in the country that were looking at closing stores. Um, I thought it was important to provide a bit of a reality check that uh, even though stores are reopening, uh, this is still going to be a challenging time in terms of we are going to see more retail bankruptcies in Canada. So again, just to give a bit of context around this, um, there were certainly a, quite a few retailers that were struggling before COVID-19 hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, COVID-19 came, um, many of these store locations had to close temporarily, which was a further financial hit to these companies. Um, I'll quickly mention independent retailers. Um, we didn't name names specifically in the article of uh, some of these smaller ones, but uh, I have spoken to quite a few independent retailers over the last couple of months, and and certainly many have said that this is going to be a challenging time for them. Uh, In some cases, they haven't gotten uh, the government supports or cooperation with their landlord for rent reductions. Uh, If they are reopening now, they've got costs associated around uh, PPE, um, staffing costs, cleaning and whatnot. So uh, what we're seeing is a situation where there may be reduced retail sales, where there's also increased uh, cost of doing business. And this is unfortunately, you know, been responsible for sinking or it will sink some independent retailers. Uh, we can dive into national retailers. We've yeah. got a few that we can uh, have a discussion here quickly about, uh, which is it's oh. unfortunate that some of these have filed. Well, let's start with the athleisure brand Lole, because I haven't really heard much about them. And I think you have a personal connection to them, don't you? Yeah. Um, and the, that this one to me was a bit sad because I was covering Lole, you know, as a journalist early on. Uh, Lole is a Montreal based athleisure brand. Um, it had, I think it's called the White Tour, where they would uh, go around and have these big yoga thons almost, I guess. It was really interesting how they would do these. But so I spoke to the CEO years and years ago, and he had big lofty plans for the company. Uh, it's, it's a bit like Lululemon. Um, and the company had filed for bankruptcy protection. Uh, I think all of its corporate stores have closed. I know the one right by me has, for example, a former manager reached out to us, was explaining that, you know, this had been a challenging time. There was substantial debt, uh, but that some franchise store locations were still open for Lole. When I look at the article, it mentions $47 million in debt that the company was in. So is that like like purely COVID-19 related issues or was that like pre-COVID-19 as well? Oh, who knows? I mean, I didn't go through the court documents. They are online, but... 
um, my expectation would be given that, you know, how quickly the company had expanded. Um, it wouldn't be surprising that these debts would be f- partly from before. Uh, okay. I'm sure there's some rent obligations there. Uh, and given how many stores they had, I'm sure, you know, they had a lot of rent that was outstanding when stores had to close because of COVID-19. But nevertheless, I think the same thing with all those shoes uh, where, you know, they were in trouble before COVID-19. That could be very well be applicable to Lole as well. Well, let's pivot over to Aldo Shoes because I, we previously reported on it, but we didn't actually have a podcast discussion on it. So like, what's your thought on what's going on with Aldo? Because I think, was it just purely COVID-19 trouble that they're in as well or or before? Yeah, yeah. With Aldo, I mean, a great footwear chain based out of Montreal, about 3,000 stores throughout the world. Some of those are franchised. Uh, the company had substantial debts before COVID-19. Um, I was not aware of this. It's a private company, so these numbers weren't really being shared widely. COVID-19, I think, was a bit of a catalyst for this filing, uh, bankruptcy filing. They needed to do it. They just had too many stores. And I think it's more than 40%. I think it's 45% of the stores that are closing. I, I think this speaks to having perhaps too many physical stores, uh, especially as more people are shopping online. So uh, I, I think Aldo is going to come back stronger than ever uh, with fewer store locations and uh, probably you know a, a leaner and meaner operation. So and I think there's another national chain that's closing stores that we wanted to talk about being Frankenoak. And when I'm looking at the article, it looks like they are filing for bankruptcy protection and closing stores, having $19 million in debt versus, let's say, Lole that's closing all their stores except for those franchise locations, having $47 million in debt. So looks like they're in a little bit better steed. But what's your thought on Frank and Oak? Yeah, and Frank and Oak had fewer stores. I've been following Frank and Oak. Uh, you know, Ethan Song and his business partner, I've only ever met Ethan. It started off as a menswear brand. It was only online. Um, they started opening stores throughout the country. Um, they had 20 stores in Canada, which so they've said that they're going to be closing 17 of those and leaving three open. So there'll be two in Montreal and one in Toronto as terms of physical stores and the rest of Frank and Oak's operations would be online, uh, provided that it's a going concern. Concern. Um, the company, I think, had actually struggled for quite a while, is what I was told. Um, I never wrote that in Retail Insider. It was just kind of a you know whisper that you'd hear. But uh, they struck a deal with Post Media, where basically uh, that's the newspaper chain, yeah. um, where they would do uh, advertising uh, for Frank and Oak extensively in return for an equity stake in the company, and that had been, I think, put out in a press release, so it wasn't like like confidential. But I'm not sure if it was public information. But I know that Cadillac Fairview had put in a major investment as well. Um, but that's why we saw lots of Frank and Oak stores in Cadillac Fairview malls was because of that partnership. And, and mm-hmm. this isn't the only retailer that a landlord has supported in that way. So when I hadn't actually heard of an actual landlord helping a retailer or as well as a media like post media helping out a retailer, um, good to know, learned something today. And I don't think any of our other retailers in our article fell into that same category. So And it's too bad that a local brand is going through like difficulties like this as well. But speaking of local brands, I think Licenza is another one that is in trouble that's in our article that went through a recent change to be uh, owned by Beverly Hills based uh, Regent. So do you want to go through a little bit about uh, Licenza at this point? Yeah, yeah. The company was founded, I think is in Sherbrooke, Quebec, which is like you know, outside of Montreal, down towards the, uh, yeah. the American border. And uh, it's uh, known for its lingerie and uh, underwear for women primarily. I think they have a little bit of men's stuff, but 
you know, a lingerie store. So they were, they were, you know, growing like crazy stores in, uh, you know, throughout North America, I think even the Middle East and beyond, but uh, the company struggled. So L Brands, which owns Victoria's Secret, bought them a number of years ago, uh, then sold it to Regent, which is based in Beverly Hills, not the hotel, the Regent Hotel. It was another company called Regent. Um, anyways, uh, you know, it's interesting because I think it was late last year, early this year, I was told that Licenza was just going to be shutting down completely. So what they've announced is about 30 of their Canadian stores. They have about 100 of them. About 30 will close. So that's yeah. about 30%, I guess you would yeah. say. Yeah, that's crazy. But no, yeah, well, let's move on to uh, Winnipeg-based Nygaard because I think they're closing all their stores or liquidating them. And I think you have a little bit of personal knowledge or history on the whole situation. I think that's right. Yeah, and I'll try to keep it respectful. Peter Nygaard's a fashion designer, um, very good friend. I consider a family member almost. Uh, was one of his first models in the 1960s. He was a bit of a womanizer then, and I guess he kept up that trend for years. Uh, unfortunately, girls uh, might be a better word after a while. But, um, you know, very, very prolific fashion designer based out of Winnipeg, um, led a very uh, fast forward life, uh, had an incredible home in the Bahamas, uh, um, all kinds of lawsuits. I mean, a, a real playboy, a uh, really flashy person. Uh, but, uh, you know, and that's just the, the, the man. Uh, certainly had a fashion line that a lot of women actually really liked. He, he had the Nygaard mainline brand. Um, I think Nygaard Slims. Uh, I'm not actually exactly sure what that's all about, but I've seen the stores all over, including in Yale Town in Vancouver. Um, um, Alaya and Tanjay and um, you know they were nice looking clothing at a reasonable quality at a great price and uh, I know a lot of women are actually pretty sad that the company is, is shutting its stores down um, and they've been I think liquidating them across the country and some may have already closed so um, this is the fall of a really um, iconic brand and and really given the accusations against Peter Nygaard it probably should fall uh, I, I know that it's a loss of a major name and a lot of people are losing their jobs but uh, some of the stuff he was accused of is absolutely heinous and um, I know they're only allegations so that, that's unfortunate I mean that is one of Canada's best known brands i would say over the last few decades so well another uh, i guess non-fashion example of what was in our article just to step off fashion was uh, david's tea so um it looks like they filed for bankruptcy protection and uh but like i mean for me i'm surprised it took this long because i heard rumblings of um you know difficulties and stuff pre-covid19 um, for quite a while. So I'm wondering, is it just the last straw that kind of drove them to the spot or is there any more information that you can kind of shed around uh, David's tea? The company had been struggling before. Um, yeah. This is one that reports their numbers and, and it was a challenge for a while. Uh, this again, kind of like Aldo to a degree, you know, opening a lot of stores. David's tea expanded a lot. Again, you know, having to pay rent on a lot of spaces uh, is, is a challenge having staff in all of those spaces all of those are costs so uh, you know and what David's tea is doing is selling tea and uh, you know the price point uh, isn't super high compared to certain competitors so quite a few of those stores are closing I think 82 in Canada uh, and uh, all the American ones United States all 42 yeah yeah, all 42. So um, that's unfortunate. I mean, hopefully David's tea can be a going concern. They're saying that they want to be primarily an online retailer, or at least they want to do a lot of focus there. And, uh, you know, back into the fashion lineup, um, Le Chateau, which is, you know, again, based out of Montreal, where I have gotten lots of clothes, especially in my teenage years and growing into the, my 20s. I'm sad to see that uh, the company may not survive another 12 months without outside investment. Yeah, I'm 
I and many are surprised that Le Chateau is still around. Uh, I don't think it's been profitable in a decade, and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, well, so, that's probably the last time I bought something from them. So, <laughs> well, thanks. You help with <laughs> under. I'm kidding. <laughs> My fault. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I don't know. I. I they're saying that they would need outside financing unless it comes from the government of Quebec that's willing to lose money. I don't know if Le Chateau is going to be around much longer because you know, when a company loses money that long, and it's tough because they're a fashion retailer, didn't have the lowest prices, they didn't have the best quality. Uh, these are these are all challenges. Uh, a lot of competitors came in. Le Chateau was the retailer in the 60s and the 70s, and uh, you know a lot of people went there. And and but we have all kinds of. I mean, if you think about it, Zara, H and M, Uniqlo. Uh, you know, we did have Forever 21 at one time. These are all competing against Le Chateau, and I think all of those retailers would have lower prices, and in some cases even better looking product, especially uh, Zara, kind of in that style range that Le Chateau is in. So really, I think retailers like Zara were responsible for the struggles that Le Chateau is having. Um, and on top of that, you know, La Maison Simons, which really has expanded its own private label product and a similar price point to Le Chateau, I would say, for the most part. Again, another competitor, but but uh, in, in the fashion space, in some cases, we may have been oversaturated with certain types of fashion. And Unfortunately, this might be the time for Le Chateau to go. Uh, but but again, I, I'm surprised it's been around this long because they report their financials and their financials haven't been very good for quite a while. Well, and again, it's a big part of my Canadian history as well. So I'm sad to see them go. Um, some other interesting um, tidbits that I'm seeing from our other section before we move into the international retailers is people's jewelers, which I keep on calling the people's court, but the people's jewels, jeweler, jewelry store locations are also having an issue, right? People's jewel. Yeah. Um, own, it's now owned by Signet Jewelers. Um, it's an American company, uh, but, but people's, you know, it was founded in Canada. It only has stores in Canada. Um, again, you know, competition, it's, it's a, um, yeah. Competitive world out there. How many jewelers are out there? Um, you know, we've reported on Paris jewelers. Uh, you know, Tiffany is at the high end. Even Links of London, like they went down in flames um, like this year as well, or last year. I think it was last year, right? Yes, last year. Yeah, I was trying to remember if it was like January because COVID is like warping my timelines here. <laughs> I know, I know. I think about that too. I'm like, when did I walk through when we went to that sale? It was with Jessica. I think it was late 2019, yeah. but uh, some well, of those stores, I think, closed in early 2020 finally. Yeah. They, were, they were liquidating them uh, last like December, I think it was. Yeah. RYU is really surprising me because uh, I go to the gym every single morning at five in the morning and everything I wear is from RYU. So yeah. it's shocking to me that they're shutting down because they have such good clothing. I would love to hear what you have to say about RYU though, um, or yeah. do you have anything? Because like when I went by their store just off Robson there, it was like a ghost town. You literally could spin around a bowling ball and not hit, hit a single person. It was really depressing. I was hoping it was just like cleaned out for COVID and that they'd be coming back because I have such a respect for that retailer. Yeah, yeah. And uh, actually, I think you pointed out there was a post on the Robson Street, um, uh, what do you call it, Instagram account where they were saying, we'll miss you. Yes. Uh, yeah, and that was the RYU store on Thurlow Street. So I have not checked to see the um, final status of the company, but RYU is really interesting. And we were, we, I think Retail Insider was the first publication to report on their 
actual expansion. It was very interesting. So uh, it was a MMA related brand, uh, like a, you know, a boxing fighting brand, whatever you call that, um, based in Portland, Oregon. Marcello Leone um, from Vancouver brought the brand to Canada. Um, he was helping run Leone, the store, the very high end luxury store that uh, has closed down quite recently. His parents had started Leone. Um, so he brought RYU to Canada, founded it as a Vancouver brand and started opening stores, beautiful stores. They won awards, uh, had really great technical um, athletic apparel clothing and uh, um, had plans to open at least 100 stores is what I remember when I interviewed him and we were talking uh, from the article. I think he had like 105 or something. He had an actual like specific number, maybe 108. But um, again, you know, it's it's a tough thing to, to expand some of these brands and but uh, people seem to really love the clothing. Well, and I'm yeah. just I'm also looking at a press release from RYU from May um, 2020, and it looks like the new CEO and chairman of the board, uh, Cesar Fazari, um, uh, is Cesar. Deep, deeply yeah is a, deeply honored to accept the responsibility of leading RYU. And they have a, a mandate of a number of things. He has like one, two, three things. Number one is to stabilize the balance sheets and finances and to grow digital sales and to ensure inventory supply matches demand. So those are the things that are going on. So it doesn't sound like they are like closing up shops, see you later Canada kind of thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I know Caesar. He's he's funny. He's a great guy, actually. So RYU had two uh, stores and malls. One was Metropolis at Metrotown uh, near Vancouver, and at Sherway Gardens, CF Sherway Gardens in Toronto. Uh, both had closed, unfortunately. Um, the Van the Vancouver store just off Robson Street closed. Um, I didn't. I being COVID, we don't get around as much as we used to yeah. physically. So I don't know about the Queen Street store in Toronto. So that's why we kind of left it there. I, I probably should yeah. actually just phone and see. But nevertheless, um, I'm not sure what the status of the company is. But we did see quite a retraction in retail stores. So. Right. I, I don't know what that says, but, um, you know, as a brand, I think that RYU had inc has incredible potential still. Um, so, but there are competitors out there. If you, if you look, I mean, again, Lululemon is quite strong. Yeah. And fair enough. But I think Craig, that was pretty much all of the like nationwide retailers that were having stores closing. Uh, I think the other big half of the article was to do with international retailers closing in Canada. So do you want to start stepping through those? But uh, before we do, could you give a little bit of maybe context on what these international retailers mean and how we came up with that category? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's interesting. Over, you know, over the years, international brands have come into Canada by opening stores. There's no secret there. Uh, we've tallied them as extensively as we could in Retail Insider since 2014. So it's been five or six years because we haven't done 2020 yet. 2020 won't have that many Spo yeah. spoiler there. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> First year where it's under 20 in one year. <laughs> um, but uh, put together a list of few of uh, the international retailers that are closing stores in Canada. And actually, interestingly enough, uh, there are more that we don't have on this list because I'm going to do a separate article on it. Uh, oh, sounds good. Well, do you want to start with the first one? I think it was Long Tall Sally, right? Yeah. And uh, this brand was selling um, clothing for, you know, women who were, who were tall, as well as footwear for women that would have, say, larger feet and whatnot. Um, there really aren't that many retailers in Canada that carry this type of clothing. So Long Tall Sally had closed all of its stores. I tried to find out how many online, but uh, by that time, the website had shut down in terms of like they just quickly 
you know, got rid of all their information. But, you know, it's a shame. I mean, uh, you've got um, some women who are transgendered, which means that they had been men before who might be a little bit taller and have larger feet. This, again, would be one less place to shop. So I think that that... Uh, again, as a bit of a challenge. So that's too bad. At the same time, it does open up, I guess, an opportunity for retailers to carry clothing like that. Um, not that they have to open their own store just for the category, but to say expand apparel categories into, um, you know, clothing for a taller woman as well as perhaps an expanded shoe size if possible. Did you see the um, chief operating officer's um, closure letter on Long Tall Sally? No. Yeah, so basically wrote a whole thing on you know, explaining the decision we've had to make. And they're talking about the economics of the retail, fierce competition. After 44 years of trading, it's really like an end of an era. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, Alison Doherty is uh, listed on our, on the Long Sally Canadian closure website. Wow, you know, and that would be new since I looked at the website. That That's tough. I mean, can you imagine how hard it is to close down a business that's been there for 44 years and has been around the world? Uh, it basically says that uh, we've explored every possibility, but uh, the financial impact of the pandemic means that they're no longer sustainable. So that's kind of where they're at. So Interesting. Uh, Miniso, let's talk about them because there was quite the scandal and news and all that kind of stuff going on all through 2019. Um, specifically, I think the last one was like March when there was like, you know, China was taking over the Canadian operations. So take us through what's going on now. Yeah, I mean, I, ha I haven't been able to get a tally in terms of the number of stores that have closed or are going to close for Miniso. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, it's a, it's a Chinese variety retailer. They position themselves as being a Japanese retailer, but they're they're from China. And uh, so they came into Canada in 2017 with the splash. They told us the media that they were looking at opening about 500 stores over about a three to four year period, which would have been the most aggressive, I think, retail expansion in Canada in, in Canadian history for an international brand coming in and making such a statement. But there were all kinds of issues. Chinese parent company was uh, accusing the Canadian division of fraud. Uh, they supposedly settled, but things didn't work out. I started getting emails from uh, franchisees from Miniso Canada saying that things were still absolutely dire and that the parent company itself was doing uh, unethical things. And um, so many of the franchise locations ended up closing oh, yeah. in Canada or they are going to be closing. Um, I've seen a few for sublease as well. And But um, yeah, I feel sorry for them. It's crazy. Well, see, I mean, there's a lot of competitors out there. Like there's Mumoso, which is... Oh, Mumoso. <laughs> I, oh, it just brings a smile to my face whenever I hear them. <laughs> and a few others out there. Oh, Mumu is actually, I think, based in Vancouver. There's a lot of O's in these names, aren't they? Even if Miniso were to, you know, leave Canada disappear or whatever. Disappear Canada, yeah. Then there are other ones out there too. Uh, you know, and again, it's yeah. it's really just sort of an inexpensive variety retailer. That, that's essentially mm. what, it, what it boils down to. Well, moving on to another international retailer, I was looking at The Gap and whenever I think of The Gap, I, of course, I go back in the sands of time to like the 90s and, and even early 2000s. And that just seemed to be a staple, like a foundation of a house. It always is there. But again, I don't really know when the last time I've actually been in a Gap or a Baby Gap or any of those. So... What's going on with this retailer? Yeah, I mean, it was quietly closing stores uh, over the last few years in Canada, a U.S.-based retailer. It was known for the white t-shirt and denim years ago, and mm -hmm. I think it was yes. in the late 80s or early 90s, they started getting into colors, and I think the company just 
I don't want to say lost its way, but it, it kind of transitioned to became a little bit less relevant. A lot of competitors came into the market over the years. Fast fashion came in. Uh, you know, again, just a lot of competition. So the Gap has three banners under its uh, um, main line, yeah. and it's also got a high-end women's brand, which hasn't opened on Bloor Street yet, uh, called Intermix. But it's got the Gap. Uh, it's got uh, Old Navy. Uh, well, sorry, I'll say the second one, Banana Republic, and then Old Navy, which is a bit less expensive than the first two. Is it the ba- like uh, so? Is is it just the gap or is it also Banana Republic, Old Navy, like closing stores well? Or is it like, are we just focused on that one brand or is it the group that we're looking at? Um, it's more, it's, it's, it's actually both. Um, it's more actual gap branded stores that have been closing and baby gap. Banana Republic has closed a few. They didn't have as many to begin with. And then Old Navy, it's not that common for them to close. I think a couple of them have closed, but just given their, their price point and overall, uh, you know, yeah. consumer proposition for for young shoppers, Old Navy's been pretty darn successful overall, I think. Yeah, it's primarily the Gap, I, I would yeah. say. I can only think of like one or two Banana Republics that have closed somewhat recently in Canada. So, yeah. But again, there aren't nearly as many of them. They're just a little bit more highly positioned in terms of the price point and, and quality, I would exactly. assume. And I think the last international retailer that I was surprised about, because I kind of figured that they kind of baked into everyone's DNA to the point where kind of like Apple, like they come out with a new iPhone and it's like, I can see money flying out of my wallet. So Starbucks, crazy. Um, what happened there? Because I was stunned with them being included in this uh, this article. Yeah, Starbucks has some smart people working there. I think that they saw some writing on the wall in terms of the world changing with COVID and made a quick decision to shut uh, roughly somewhere in about 200 Canadian locations because they've been quite vague. That's why I'm being quite vague there as well. Um, some of them might be replaced by new locations nearby. Um, what they did in Toronto last year is they tested a, a grab-and-go concept where you don't even have a place to sit. It's almost like a little kind of kiosk area for Starbucks. So yeah. uh, you can order on an app and pick it up uh, at the location. So they might be looking at, Starbucks might be looking at doing that a little bit more as well. So in this case, it's not the company filing for bankruptcy by any means. It's it's still going to be highly successful, I think, moving forward. But I think that Starbucks is right-sizing its operations and looking to the future. One thing that I was a little bit disappointed by was the fact that they had stopped their uh, um, massive, massive flagship location expansion, uh, Roastery. Um, so there's oh. these gigantic flagships. There, there's a Starbucks in Chicago that's almost an acre in square footage. Wow. Four floors. I mean, it's, it's, it's spectacular. It's an old crate and barrel store. And, um, there's a few of those. There's one by the Pike place market in Seattle. There's one in, um, Shanghai, I think it is. Uh, and there's, there, nothing like it in Canada. Certainly it's almost like Italy, but it's just Starbucks <laughs> without the groceries. Mm. So, um, <laughs> you know, these beautiful and architecturally stunning spaces. And, and I, I was told that, uh, there was a, a real estate search in Toronto to open one of these, uh, probably on Bloor street and, and never ended up happening but uh i mean you know starbucks does some interesting stuff who knows what they're going to do next i mean the company has uh, certainly innovated over the years and um i'd love to have a roastery in toronto but i don't know i guess it's not in the cards right now um but uh who knows i mean closing some locations i don't think it's the end of the world i mean starbucks has an incredible loyalty um glo- yeah. globally and in canada 
Craig, thank you for going through the popular content from Retail Insider over the past week. And thank you to our listeners for being with us today. Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and we'd appreciate it if you left a review with your podcast provider to help others find us too. And just a gentle reminder, we do have an email newsletter that you can subscribe to that goes out every weekday morning. And it has a link to the Canadian news from around the web that we've curated from the previous day, as well as links to our recently published articles exclusive to Retail Insider. If you go to our website, retail-insider.com, you can find the subscribe area towards the bottom of our main page, and then you can get that email into your inbox every morning. So thanks everyone for listening. And Craig, thanks for chatting and chat with you next week. Thank you so much, everyone. Take care. 